Hey, between my um, junior and senior years in college, uh, my love for Christ was recalibrated. It got better. And when I came back to my uh, to school my senior year, I started some Bible studies on the baseball team. And my desire was I want to win all of my teammates to Christ. Now, my, my, the team wasn't as good my senior year as it was freshman, sophomore, and junior years. Uh, we, were, we won 30 and lost 29. We didn't get to the postseason like we did in those other years. And our coach couldn't figure out what was wrong. So he called a team meeting. We're all sitting in front of him. And then he looked right at me and he goes, the reason we're not playing so well is because some people on this team think it's a Sunday school class. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Another manager in pro ball this time knew that I didn't drink alcohol. So in a team meeting, he looked at me and he said, milkshake drinkers don't win championships. Beer drinkers do. Okay. <laughs> My teammates mockingly called me Rev, short for reverend, because I was trying to win them to Christ. And they also called me Verge, short for virgin, because I said I wasn't going to have sex until I got married. Uh, those guys watched me like a hawk. And if I slipped up, said a few bad words, which I must admit I did a few times, <laughs> uh, man, they would let me know. And one of the teammate that I had was a particularly vulgar, loudmouth guy, and he tried to frustrate me uh, and just flaunt his adultery right in front of me, as well as the rest of the teammates. Listen, I, I think that little bit of opposition that I faced was good for me. It made me stronger in my faith. And it's probably one of the reasons I even got into the ministry in the first place. See, if you seek to follow Christ, you will face at least some measure of misunderstanding, ridicule, scorn, opposition. Now, my stuff is minor stuff compared to what some of you in this room have faced, maybe even at the hands of your own family. But listen, following Jesus and suffering because of following Jesus is, you ready for this, normal Christian living. It's normal Christian living. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He goes, blessed are you, not if you face persecution, but blessed are you when you face persecution on my account. I asked uh, some CVCers on Facebook, what have you suffered? Sister of one of our CVCers was offended that she started going to church. And so her sister told her that she was such a bad person, God could never love her. Another CVCer was told, uh, your faith is a crutch for the weak-minded, and being a Christian makes you bigoted by default. Uh, some who attend here were raised in another religious tradition, and they've been called traitors to the family, traitors to the faith, and Jesus freaks. Uh, one young adult grew up in our youth ministry impact and said this, my sophomore year, I took a college writing course. And even in the first few classes, my professor was very vocal about where he stands with religion and faith. And here's what the professor said. God and angels are cool if you believe all that fairy tale crap. Now, none of that is insignificant, but it is mild. It's not extreme. 
Because today we're going to be introduced to a church that went through a lot more significant suffering than this. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 8 today. We're in this series we're calling Recalibrate, and what we're doing is we're looking at the letters that Jesus dictated through one of his followers named John, and that were sent to the seven churches in uh, Asia Minor, what we now call Turkey. And you can see a picture of those uh, churches on the screen. Uh, you can find these letters in two chapters in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, last weekend, I shared the letter that Christ wrote to the church in a city called Ephesus. Uh, I read the verse about how they had left their first love. They didn't love Christ as much as they used to. And he gave them a thumbs down for that. And here's what Jesus told them. He said, you need to do three things. Uh, first, you need to recall, recall how much you used to love me. Second, you need to repent. You need to repent or turn away from the things that have caused you to fall out of love with me. And third, you need to hit replay, replay. In other words, do the things that you did at first. And the prayer that I encouraged us to pray was a very simple prayer. Lord, show me what to do to restore my love for you. Show me what to do to restore my love for you. And several of you have shared some of those things that you've done uh, to restore your love for Christ. Things like listening to the song, I Miss My Time With You. Uh, taking notes on YouTube messages by pastors that used to be encouraging to you in the past. Uh, weekly fasting, using the Valley of Vision as a prayer guide, rememorizing verses, intentional prayer daily with your spouse, uh, rereading other books that inspired in the past, keeping a grateful journal, uh, listening to a Natalie Grant song, clean, and then using headphones to listen to messages while uh, doing chores. So I hope you guys will keep doing that stuff. Way to go. And I hope you'll keep praying that prayer. Lord, show me what to do to restore my love for you. But today, we're focused on uh, what happens if we do love Christ. And what happens because we love Christ, what happens when opposition and ridicule and sarcasm and scorn and uh, all that comes our way? Um, how has the world treated you since you became a Christ follower? And how are you handling it? Well, the letter that we're going to look at today tells us that we need to be fearless and we need to be faith, faithful in the midst of opposition. The letter goes to a church in a city called Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is a city on the coast between um, Turkey and Greece. It's, Smyrna is like a staunch ally of the Roman Empire. It was actually one of the first Asian cities to require worship of the Roman emperor, who's the Caesar. People were required to burn incense to the Caesar and to say, Caesar is Lord. Now that was a problem for followers of Christ to say that. This is also a city where many Jewish people lived, Jews that did not accept Christ as Savior and Lord, and they were vehemently opposed to Christ and to Christianity. Now, we're going to read the letter uh, one time through, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. And I want you to be looking as we read through the letter for two commands. There are basically two commands in these verses. So see if you can spot the two commands. So here we go. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, so command number one, what is it? Do not fear. And command number two is? Be faithful. So this is like very simple message, right? It's a two-part message. Um, be fearless and be faithful. So the first command is be fearless. And it's, it's in verse 10, if you missed it, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Uh, Pastor Chad weighs in on this and he says, fear is the greatest culprit that keeps us from everything God wants for us. A fear of everything but God sabotages our faithfulness and ultimately the fruitfulness that we have the potential for. So be fearless. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Second, be faithful. And that's also in verse 10, down at the bottom, last part of the verse, be faithful unto death. In other words, be faithful to Jesus and to his church to the very end of your life. And then be faithful even if they take your life. Now, some of us are going, okay, be fearless, be faithful. That was for them. That's not for me. <laughs> really? Because in the Bible, it says, 2 Timothy 3.12, all of those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All means all. That's all all means. All of us who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if I'm not suffering some pushback for being a follower of Christ in some circle of influence in my life, then that probably means either I'm not a follower of Jesus or I'm not living godly, one or the other. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates me, they will hate you also. So that's why I say suffering is normal Christian living. So and this is why we need to pray, Lord, make me fearless, and Lord, make me faithful. Now, as I read through this passage, i got to say, it's like hard for me to personally identify closely with this passage. Why is that? Because I don't experience this extreme kind of persecution for my faith. Most of us don't think about the reality of persecution in today's world. I mean, we do know from the Bible uh, that people in the Old Testament and the New Testament suffered for their faith. In fact, there's a famous passage in uh, the book of the Bible called Hebrews. And in chapter 11, it describes uh, some of the trauma that people went through for their faith. It says their backs were cut open with whips. Uh, they were chained in dungeons. Uh, they died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Imagine that. Some were killed with the sword. And then it ends by saying they were too good for this world. Wow. Wow. But persecution like that doesn't exist anymore. That was Bible times, right? The truth is there were more people martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ in the 20th century than in all the previous 19 centuries combined. We have to understand there are degrees of religious persecution. Some persecution is severe. Some is more moderate. And some is mild. 
We only in this culture see the mild or the normal kind of persecution. Some places in the world, they experience the severe stuff, kidnapping, slavery, imprisonment, beatings, execution. That's what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. There's a ministry to the persecuted followers of Jesus around the world called Open Doors, and they've got a watch list that we can see five countries in the world where persecution is greatest, and then ask, will you stand shoulder to shoulder with them? I, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know exactly what that looks like for me. In, in the foyer is a brochure we put together just for today, praying for the persecuted church. And we actually also tell you that two of the countries that we partner with, Indonesia and Mexico, are on that top 50 list. And it gives you some practical things to pray, some practical things to do. It also lists the website. So please pick this up on the way out. One of my pastor friends in Medina, his name's Tony Miles, he says this, I wonder if when I get to heaven and have conversations with those we read about in the Bible and around the world, who truly experienced persecution, what I will say when they ask what I endured for my faith. I wonder if when I say, I got weird looks, or I was told by another person that we would have to agree to disagree, or that someone slammed me on Facebook, what the look on their faces will be. I mean, these are people that are fearless and faithful. The question is, can we be fearless and faithful? Because... Let's face it, most of the persecution that we face in America is just normal. It's mild. Ridicule, mockery, the pressure to conform, labeling, being ostracized. That's what we can count on. Now, in light of what's happening in other parts of the world, it might be tempting for us to just minimize what we're facing. And certainly what they're facing is much heavier than what we're facing. But... I think if we minimize too much what we have to face, then we won't be ready to deal with it when it really comes. Before we go any further, we've got to define what persecution is and isn't. So what's not persecution? <laughs> well, take a look at the screen. What's not persecution? The trials of life, not persecution. If a feeling falls out, that's not persecution. That's a trial of life. Um, how about suffering for self-righteousness' sake? I mean, frankly, some of us are just mean. And, and we get opposed because we're just mean with our faith. Let's not do that. Let's make sure we don't bring unnecessary opposition to ourselves because of our aggressive, unloving approach to other people. We have a holier-than-thou, I'm-better-than-you kind of attitude. And we bring it on to ourselves. That's not persecution. That's stupid. That's not my notes. I don't know where I said that. It's like... <laughs> Self-inflicted wounds. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, they're persecuting me at work. No, you just did a bad job at work. And, you know, that's why you're in trouble. Or how about partisan political conflict? Somebody said this, antagonistic, divisive, abusive, attacking, or otherwise harmful and destructive words have no place in the online lives of anyone who says they're a follower of Jesus. I'm ashamed sometimes at what I see some of us put out on Facebook. I'm going, really? How many people have you really convinced with your Facebook tirades 
to change their view on a topic. Take them out for a cup of coffee for crying out loud and have a real face-to-face -face conversation, right? <laughs> That's not my notes either, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so what is persecution? Well, the word persecute is diako in the original language. And it really describes any level of harassment or any level of trouble or mistreatment for the sake of Christ. Okay? So in the face of our persecution, we are called to be fearless and faithful. So we pray, Lord, make me fearless and faithful. Now, do you want to know why we can be fearless and faithful? Well, let's pull out some principles from this passage. First, Jesus is in control. That's why we can be fearless and faithful. Notice how it starts. The angel of the church at Smyrna write the words of the first and the last. Do you know when Jesus says this about himself, he is claimed to be God. There's a verse in uh, Isaiah chapter 44 where the Lord says about himself, I'm the first and the last. So when Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, he's claiming to be the Lord of the Old Testament. Jesus is eternal God who has always been and always will be God. Therefore, everything is under his control. He is sovereign. He has supreme authority over all of life. And what he's saying here is that I have the first word and the last word about what happens to you. And when we face suffering or persecution for our faith, we need to remember nothing can ever happen to me that is outside of God's control. And according to Romans 8.28, that even if a family member or a boss or a teammate or a professor ridicules me, hurts me, slams me, pushes back at me because of my faith, God can use it for good. And he will. So you feel harassed and helpless. Remember, Jesus is in control. And because he's in control, you can confidently pray, Lord, help me be fearless and faithful. Not only is he in control, but he's already won. Right? And because he wins, we win. Look at what it says. He calls himself not only the first and the last, but the one who died and came to life. He's alive. He died on that cross in our place for our sin. He was buried. Three days later, back to life. He wins. He ascends into heaven. He is coming back to set up his kingdom forever. He is living proof that even if the worst happens and you get killed because of your faith, you still win. Because he lives, we live too. The old song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He's already won. And because of that, we can confidently pray, Lord, help me be fearless and faithful. Uh, not only has he already won, but he knows what I shall suffer. He knows what I shall suffer. Look at what happens for this church in Smyrna. He says this, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander that you're going to receive. I know you're going to get thrown into prison. I know you're going to experience tribulation. I know. He says, I'm not unaware of what the people in Smyrna are going to go through. And guess what? He's not unaware of what we're going to go through also. Somebody may ridicule you this afternoon. He already knows. And, and notice this. He says, I know your poverty. I want to stop there for a second. 
There is a Greek word that means need, needy. This is not this word. This word literally means a state of destitution. This is a church where they lack the essentials for living. And the reason was because of the persecution that was instigated against them by the Jewish people. You might read this passage and say, oh man, this sounds a little anti-Semitic here. It's being a little bit hard on the Jewish people. They called the synagogue the synagogue of Satan. What's up with that? And you got to remember, the person who's dictating the letter is a Jew. Right? So he loves Jews. <laughs> but what's going on? Well, in Smyrna, uh, the Jewish people were in bitter conflict with the Christians. Uh, they thought Christianity is a cult. It's not true. It's not a true religion. So they used slander, half-truths, outright lies. And they were on a mission to turn the Romans against the Christians. They said, the Christians are serving another king other than Caesar, which was true. <laughs> they were serving Jesus. And therefore, they are dangerous and rebellious, which was not true. Now, the Jewish people didn't have the power to punish the Christian people themselves, so they had to go to the Romans to turn the Romans against the Christians and get the Christians in trouble with the Roman government. So as a result, the Christians were ostracized. People who were in the church were forbidden to buy and sell. They were robbed of their material possessions in the process of being persecuted. So that's why he calls the synagogue the synagogue of Satan. The Jewish people were in extreme opposition to Christianity. Now, don't miss this. This is a group of people who are financially poor. Uh, last week, we saw the church at Ephesus get a thumbs up for some of their deeds, but they got a thumbs down. You have left your first love. This week in this letter, no thumbs down. Only thumbs up. Well, what's up with that? I mean, uh, if you're poor, that must mean God's not on your side, right? No, they're doing things right. They are pleasing to God. See, today, if you turn on the TV or tune in your radio, you can hear some so-called spiritual leaders preach a gospel that is no gospel at all. They say, if you're truly right with God, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it gospel. And it's false teaching. I mean, supposedly, if you live by faith and you give in faith to these ministries, then you're going to prosper financially. Well, that didn't happen with this church in Smyrna. They're poor financially. And yet, he says, you are rich. Poor financially, rich spiritually. See, they, they weren't following Jesus for kind of a, well, what's in it for me thing. They're not God users. They're not trying to manipulate God to make them prosperous through some sham obedience or sham faith. They follow Jesus because he's worthy to follow. He is first. He's last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the one who died and rose again. He's the only one who could punch my ticket to get to heaven. That's why I'm following Christ, not what's in it for me in the here and now. Most of us here in Northeast Ohio, especially when we compare ourselves with the rest of the world, we're financially well off. Now, we may not think of ourselves that way, but the rest of the world would think of us that way. We have a lot to learn from third world believers. They are not following Jesus for the material things they can get. 
They are following Jesus simply because he is worthy, he is awesome, he is amazing, he is glorious, he is beautiful. And they have set their minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Jesus doesn't say to them, hey, I'm going to put an end to your suffering. There is no guarantee they're going to be well off in the future. Instead, he says to them, things are going to get worse. The enemy is about to throw you into prison. More suffering is coming. He doesn't say, and I'm going to stop it, or I'll get you out, or I'll help you run away. No, he just says, be faithful and be fearless. And that's the word for us today. Not, hey, I'm going to stop that mean boss that mocks your faith. No, you be faithful and you be fearless and you watch what God does. God says, I will accomplish my purpose through your suffering in a way that will blow you away. He knows what we shall suffer. And because of this, we can confidently pray, Lord, help me be fearless and faithful. And then not only does he know what we will suffer, he helps us pass the test. Because the suffering that you face for being a follower of Christ, the ridicule, the scorn, the mockery, the people talking about you behind your back, people labeling you, it's a test. Notice what he says here. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Question, what attitude do I need to have in order to pass the test? This week, I was thinking about a book that a Methodist pastor, Bob Shuler, wrote. Title of the book, Some Dogs I Have Known. Some Dogs I Have Known. Interesting title of a book from a pastor. In the book, he tells that he was speaking at a series of meetings in a distant town, and he was walking back to his hotel, and he saw someone walking their bulldog. Bulldog walking along with the broad chest, the huge head, you know, the big bite, the confident gait, the thick muscles. He's walking along, and behind him comes this little bitty teeny feisty dog, right? And starts yapping and yipping and jumping and barking. And this bulldog, I mean, could have bit the thing in two, you know, but he didn't flinch. Didn't turn around, just march straight ahead, just totally ignoring the little feisty yapper. And God spoke to this pastor through that scenario. And he went up into the room, his room, and he prayed this, Oh God, whatever that bulldog's got, I want. <laughs> and then he wrote this, Oh, for the ability to walk with strong tread straight ahead and let them yap and snarl, growl and bark to their heart's content. We need men whom the acclaim or the howling threat of the multitudes do not move. Men who can walk on amid criticism, condemnation, anathema, cursing, content to know that in their very molding and making, there is something so royal as to defend them against such mouthing. Men who are too tall for stooping, and men whose ears are too close to heaven to hear the little growls from the threats of little worm-like things of earth. I love that. That's the attitude that we need to have if we're going to pass the test. Jesus will help us pass the test if we are people who will pray, Lord, make me fearless and faithful. 
And why should we bother to pass the test? It's because he promises great reward. Look at what he says here. I will give you the crown of life, and the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. They get the crown of life. They get reward. Eternal life in heaven. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 18. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Great things are coming. And then it says they're not going to be affected by the second death. Now, what's the second death? Well, you read at the end of Revelation about the second death. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. He says... If you're fearless and faithful, then you'll never experience the second death. Today, I'm concerned about some in this room. You've never really given your life to Christ. Uh, you're afraid of what somebody might say, of how you're going to be seen, uh, that you'll be mocked, that you'll be misunderstood, that somebody won't hire you. And I would say, I'm afraid that the second death could be your future. I mean, why would you sign up for being part of a, a church family, part of a brotherhood, sisterhood, part of this following Jesus thing, when we're telling you in advance, you will suffer. Why would you sign up for something like that? Because there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And because there's a Savior who saves, who is beautiful and awesome and glorious and magnificent and who loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing is better than that. That's why we sign up for this. If all of that is ahead for me, then bring on the suffering. Some of you today, you need to say yes to Jesus. I beg you. I plead with you. Say yes to Christ. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. In your program, there's a prayer that we've put there for you to pray. It's right here on the response card. And there it is on the screen. Heavenly Father, I admit, I want to run away from suffering. I've been pursuing comfort more than Christ. However, I do see that Jesus is first and last Eternal and in control. If what he says isn't true, then none of this matters. But if what he says is true, then nothing else matters. I believe he loved me enough to die in my place for my sins. He came to life again. I do love him. And I want to prove my love by being fearless and faithful in the face of any persecution that may come my way. Save me now. Some of you, you need to pray that. You need to pray it and mean it from the very depths of your heart. And if you do, let us know. I mean, you can let us know just by filling this out, tearing it off, putting it in the offering basket. Check the box. I prayed. And if you can't do that, 
then how are you going to face persecution and suffering and hardship in the marketplace or at home or in the neighborhood? Remember my coach who said, the problem with this team is some of you think it's a Sunday school class. A couple years ago, I was walking in my neighborhood, and my phone rang. I looked at it. Coach Schmidt-O from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Coach, how you doing? A little small talk. And then he paused, and then he said, Duncan, I want you to do my funeral. <laughs> well, yes, Coach, I'm honored. But, Coach, you're going to have to give me some better material to work with if you want me to do a funeral. <laughs> Listen, you stay fearless and you stay faithful in life. You never know what God can do. You'll never know what God can do. So when I face persecution, I will be fearless. I will be faithful. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, Jesus says to Cuyahoga Valley Church. And be faithful unto death. Be faithful for the rest of your life. And be faithful even if they take your life. This letter was written to the church in Smyrna. Decades later, there was a bishop in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And he heard that they were trying to arrest him for being a leader of the church, tried to escape. He was discovered by a small child. He was turned in. He asked the soldiers who arrested him, can I pray? They said, yes, you can pray. And he prayed with such fervency, they were sorry that they ever arrested him. He was brought before the public official and he was condemned to be burned at the stake. Literally, burned alive. The leader said, deny Christ and we'll let you live. And here's his answer. 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That happened in Smyrna. Truly the first and the last, the one who died and rose again, gave them the capacity to be fearless and faithful, to overcome and not be hurt by the second death. So that's our prayer. Lord, help me be fearless and faithful. Would you say it with me? Lord, make me fearless and faithful. Father, I pray that you would make it true for us at CBC. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Help them too. And let their lives inspire us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mentioned there's a brochure out in the foyer uh, praying for the persecuted church. And two of the countries that we go to, one's Indonesia, one's Mexico, are on the watch list. Uh, we've got a couple from our church headed to Mexico uh, to do medical missions in a kind of a remote, dangerous area uh, this week. So I want to ask uh, the Kramers to come up with us. And Joe Valenti is with them. Would you welcome the Kramers as they get ready to leave and welcome Joe. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to uh, take a few minutes to pray over Eric and Sheena and Lily and Grayson. But uh, one of the things I wanted to challenge you with as we, as we close is that... Uh, we're hoping to grow this year a little bit in our mission uh, uh, participation. And so maybe 300 people from our congregation will go on mission. 
and maybe another couple hundred will uh, give financially. And so that, 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 that leaves over, over a thousand people uh, that will do neither of those two things. And so how do you, how do you, how do you support missions? Um, what I would propose to you is that you would pray is that if we would see 100% of the people at CVC pray for our missionaries in 2018, it would be a huge win. As I've talked to Eric and Sheena over the last many months that they've been home, that has been the number one need that they have consistently asked me for. And so I would challenge you to commit, uh, to commit as part of 2008 that, that you would pray consistently for Eric and Sheena and for their family and for the Tarahumara people. Uh, you can also check out cvcmissions.org to learn about our other missionaries around the world and how you might pray for them. So if you would, if you would stand with me and if you want to reach out your hand toward Eric and Sheena and the kids, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we consider the things that you said to the church in Smyrna and what Pastor Rick has shared with us, this morning, I think of, um, I think of Eric and Sheena and and their kids and God. How you have called them out and how they chose to be fearless. How you empowered them by the Holy Spirit to move forward in faithfulness. And God, as they head back from this short sabbatical, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them, that you would fortify their hearts and their minds. Father, I pray for their marriage, that as they head back into the busyness and into the demands of the mission field, as Eric heads back to the demands of all of his, um, all of his medical uh, endeavors, surgeries, and care for others, that you would help him as the leader of their family to first and foremost care for his wife. God, that you would cause him uh, to, to work his schedule such that he cares for Sheena first and foremost. God, I pray that Eric and Sheena would continue to point their children towards you. I thank you for Lily and Grayson and for the uh, unique opportunity that they have to grow up on the missions field. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts and in their minds a love for you, that they would see the obedience of their parents and the opportunity to grow up in Mexico, not as a detriment, but as a great honor. That, Lord, you would give them eyes for the lost, a heart for those who have not yet heard about Jesus. And that the Kramer family would continue to have a lifelong, faithful, fearless legacy of missionary work in Mexico and to the ends of the earth. God, I pray for the Tarahumata people such a wonderful and beautiful people, Lord, that you would break through by the power of your Holy Spirit. I think of some of the, the language barriers that still exist that have caused your word not to be translated into their heart language. God, I pray that you would send people who are passionate that, 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 would, that would consider taking this language and, and putting it into print, doing the hard work of living with people. And learning that language, God, I pray 
that you would help them to see their need for you. As I've talked with Eric and Sheena, there's such a, there's such a disconnect because they are not even truly understanding or, or grasping their fallenness. There's not even really an, a, a, a word or a concept of sin in their culture. How, Lord, then can they see their need for you and yet, unless you supernaturally, miraculously break through into their hearts and minds? So would you use Eric and Sheena and their team, Lord, to do that? That there would be a revival among the Tarahumara people. That they would begin to see their need for a Savior and that that would be the lasting legacy of their people. That, that, that in this generation they would see the Savior and their need for Him. That the Tarahumara people would begin to be reached and that they would become a Christian people. And God, we look forward to the moment I cast this vision before us often that you promise that those people who have not yet been, have, have been reached will be reached with the gospel because every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship you around the throne. And so we, we have a bit of a guarantee as we go to the nations that we need just be obedient and that you will be faithful to do what you've said you will do, that you will be faithful to save, to honor our obedience. So Lord, as we send the Kramers out, would you empower them with the power of the Holy Spirit to uniquely take the gospel message to these people who have not yet met you and that you would be faithful, that, 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 that you would be faithful in their obedience to win many to Jesus Christ. Would you cause them to be fearless and faithful for a lifetime? In your name we pray, amen.